0: Father, this morning we come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. The author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Touch our ears. Circumcise our ears. That we truly may be able to hear from you, Lord. Our ears are not circumcised. Our hearts won't be circumcised. And we truly won't be able to love you. So this morning, this first Sunday of this eighth month, we surrender ourselves into thy hands, Spirit of God. Do your work in us and through us. Commit the word that I pray you will speak through me into thy hands. Anoint us to hear. I pray the anointing will teach us. The anointing will break yokes. The anointing will pull down stronghold, ancient strongholds, break open ancient gates, set captives free. For where you are Lord, there is liberty. The sun sets free, the word sets free, the spirit sets free. We have come for freedom. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Seventy-five years later, the nation knows less liberty than it ever has. But Christ came to give us liberty and we move, or we should move, from liberty to liberty, freedom to freedom. We turn first to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. Foundational scripture about our salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We've been saved by grace, through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift. You cannot boast. It's a gift, freely given. So freely receive it. And Romans 12 and verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So it's not just grace that is a gift. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. He gives it to us. He gives it to us. Saved by grace. Through faith. God has dealt to everybody who is saved a measure of faith. It's The faith of God. It's the apostolic faith. It's a common faith of all who are saved. And of the gifts that God has given us. Right there at the top, the greatest of gifts that God has given is a gift of faith. The ability to actually believe and trust God is the greatest of gifts that God has given us. Please remember that. Love is not a gift. Love is a fruit. Faith is a gift. It's a gift and it is probably in my estimate the greatest gift God has given to His children is the gift of faith. And we are saved by grace through faith. So keep that in at the background. Okay. Because the whole point is the preaching of the word has to generate faith. Okay, that's the only, there's nothing else I can do. All I can do is trust God at the end of the day, because you heard, you believe, your faith went up. Faith went up, because you are saved by grace, through faith. Out of every situation, and any situation, God can save us. Okay, how does he save us? Through grace, that is this very raw, manifest power is called Grace. Okay, So if he can save us from the penalty of sin, he can save us from everything. But what do I need? I need to be able to believe and trust God that he can save me. That's faith. Okay, That's faith. So we will look at blocks. Okay. Why is it that people around the world, Christians, hear so much? And there is so little faith. Or if it is there, it is only like the ECG, on and off. Because we are not to do great works of faith. We are called to live by faith. Live by faith. In that life, there may be some great events, acts of faith. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is we are called to live by faith. You read the book of Daniel, you get so excited by the three friends who came through the fire, and Daniel who shut the mouth of lions. Lord, I also want to... But you forget, they lived by faith all their life. From the beginning till the end, Daniel's life was a life of faith, and we get excited by one incident. And we want that incident replicated in our life. God That is not what faith is about. My just shall live by fate. So what's the block? What's the block? Two Sundays back. Two Sundays back. If you were uh, mentally present, physically, yes, mentally present, spiritually conscious, you would have heard about the biggest block, the snare of the enemy. Like I said, Sin didn't begin on earth. Sin was uh, exported to earth from the heavenlies. It began in heaven. This is what the revelation prophet Ezekiel has in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. When God created the devil, Lucifer, the light bearer, he was perfect. Perfect in wisdom, perfect in beauty, perfect in all his ways. God doesn't make junk. Even Lucifer was made perfect. Until what was found, iniquity was found in you. And then in verse 17, it tells us what was that iniquity. Your heart was lifted up. And Ivy will say, you became proud. That's what I said, remember, two Sundays back. Satan doesn't have a body. He's a spirit being. And in that spirit being, pride was found. Okay. So pride is spiritual. Pride is spiritual. Okay. The, one of the manifestations of pride is self-will. I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. And when he injected it into mankind, and Adam fell, Adam fell, everybody fell with Adam. And Psalm 51, verse 5 says, after that, all of us were born this way. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What is that iniquity? Pride, self-will. Ask any mother sitting here with the little children. What is that you see? I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. What's the struggle? The struggle is, I don't want to listen to you. I want to do it my way. The self-will. It's the iniquity. So don't mollycoddle your children when they are throwing tantrums, when they want to have their own way. You're feeding the devil, empowering his kingdom. Okay, They are lovely, they are cute, they are sweet, but born in iniquity, born in sin, shaped in iniquity. So you understand the difference. Iniquity is iniquity, whether it is in a child or whether it is in a full grown adult, iniquity is iniquity. It can cast you down from the heavenlies, from one who is holy, the one who was made perfect in all is waste. So the primary manifestation, there are many manifestations, we look at it, is self-will. That's why when Jesus comes, he says, behold in the volume of the book it is written about me, I have not come to do my will, I have come to do your will. Your will. My will or his will. In John 8 and verse 44, Jesus uses a very interesting term to the most educated religious class of his time. Very endearingly he said, you are of your father the devil. So devil is a father. Devil is a father. How does he bring forth his children? In iniquity and in sin. He brings forth his children in iniquity. That's his character. What is that iniquity? Self-willed and proud. All of us were born that way. None accepted. Everyone was born that way. We still have a lot of it. Our old father's characteristic. He told them, you are of your father the devil. If you are your father's devil, then his works you do. So it doesn't matter the nature of your work, whether it is good or bad. The problem is it is empowered by iniquity. It feeds into your pride. That's why prophet Isaiah will say, or God will say through prophet Isaiah, your righteousness, your good works, are like filthy rags before me, because I know what empowers it. Empowers it. So what happens? When we are born that way, and we don't know how to deal with it. And here is the, the, the ruling class, the religious ruling class to whom God is addressing. And a few years later, look at them in Acts 7 and verse 51. You stiff-naked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. What does iniquity do? What does pride do? It resist the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm saying. Why is that people sit in the churches around the world and they receive nothing? Because they resist the Holy Spirit because there is an iniquity in them which causes them to resist. What happens? The ears are not circumcised and therefore their hearts never get circumcised. I told them last week, week before, I told them this is what matters because faith comes from hearing. Ear is the most important spiritual organ in your body spiritual, most, because you don't see with your eyes. You see by what you hear. As soon as you have heard, your sight changes. Your sight changes. If you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. That's how they saw that tree. We don't know how many days, weeks, months later, the tempter came into the garden, and he whispered into Eve's ears, If you eat from that tree, you will be like God. Suddenly, the tree looked different. It looked beautiful to the eyes, pleasant for food, good for wisdom. What changed? The eyes? No, what they heard. What they heard. What they heard. Many of the things we possess, many of the things we buy, many of the things we hanker after is because of what we have heard. And if you have to see God's kingdom, the power and the authority of the kingdom, the holiness of his kingdom, the kingdom that will come and rule everything, you have to hear what he says. You see by what you hear. But if you don't, you will resist the spirit of God right like the Sanhedrin did, right in the house of God. Why? That's our iniquity. So God's solution was absolutely, totally radical. Absolutely, totally radical. So to the member of the Sanhedrin who came to visit him in the night, he said, you must be born again. You should be born again. The way you are born, you will never enter because you are shaped in iniquity, born in sin. No way Jose. You have to be born again. Born again. John chapter 1 verse 12. The Bible says, as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become what? So there is a change of fatherhood. The father has changed. He says the answer to the problem is you need a change of parentage. From devil the father to God the father. What What will you need? Nothing is going to work. You can go and go to a seminary and come back as a child of the devil. You have to be born again. It's nothing. But when you are born again of God, when you are born again of God, inside, deep inside, in your spirit, something changes from iniquity to equity. Iniquity to equity. From sin to the righteousness of God that comes by faith. From transgression to the obedience that comes by faith. Something deep inside changes. A new person is born. A child is born. Child is born. Every time a person is born again, there is a refrain from heaven. I'm just just saying it. God says, unto us a child is born. Unto us, a child is born. A son or a daughter. Unto us, a child is born. Just like us. Equity, righteousness, spirit of obedience. Just like our eldest one, the firstborn among many. Understand? Iniquity to equity. Sin to the righteousness of God. And from transgression to the obedience that comes by faith. We are literally born out of this world into his kingdom. Okay? That doesn't mean the old man is gone. In this body, there resides two people. One is born of God. The other is born of the devil. You feel like Rebecca. There is this battle going on. What is it, Lord? There are two nations in you. The younger shall rule the elder. So what is our issue? Our issue is pride. Our issue is pride. Okay? Our issue is pride. Deal with that. Things will start falling into place. You have to deal with that. Okay? So let us look at Genesis 11 and verse 4 where we have the beginning of the modern world system. Is there. And they said, come, let us build ourselves, build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered. This is the beginning of the modern world system, thumping their nose at God. Ourselves, we will rival your kingdom, build it up to heaven, and we will make a name for ourselves. Okay. With pride is associated a name a name you have given yourself. There are three primary pillars if you study the word of God on which pride is built. Pride is a big, big edifice. It has three primary pillars. If you turn to Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, take up a t- laman for the king of Tyre and say thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Next verse. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Do you get it? And go to verse 5. By your great wisdom in trade you have increased your riches. He was made perfect in wisdom and beauty. Perfect in wisdom and beauty. But when iniquity came in, what happens is it is like the virus in your computer. It corrupted his wisdom and corrupted his beauty. And what did he do? He started trading in riches. Three pillars. Wisdom, beauty, riches. These are the three pillars on which pride sits. And what does it do? Verse 16. Did I give it to you? Okay. What does it do? To maintain these three things, wisdom, beauty, riches, from which comes splendor. To maintain this, verse 16 says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence. All the violence you see in the world is because of the iniquity of pride. His trading, Satan is a Canaanite, he's a trader. He traffics in the souls of men. And all those who are born of the devil traffics in the souls of men. Canaanite, Babylon. In Revelation 18, to 4 we see the end of Satan's kingdom on earth. This is what it is being said. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of our fornication, for the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of our lecture. Two groups, the rulers and the merchant class. We see it today, the rulers and the corporates. The big honchos, the the, the two percent who holds, the the one person that holds 97% of the world's wealth. And the rulers, they are all in cahoot with Babylon. Committed fornication. Meaning, they are one spirit with her. One spirit with her. And verse 4 to the church. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. And lest you receive her plagues. Come out. Come out of Babylon. Come out of this world system. We are in the world. We can never be part of this world. If we are part of this world, we will be part of the judgment. Because Babylon has been judged. We are just waiting for the sentencing to take place. Sentencing has taken place. We are waiting for the actual implementation of the judgment. So you will see this. Wisdom, beauty, riches. That's what the world is all after. Of course, the opposite of that is the Jerusalem from above. Not the Jerusalem that is below. The Jerusalem from below in the Bible is also called Babylon. It's called Sodom. It's called Babylon. Because it is also gone the way of this Babylon. So Galatians 4 will say, Look to your mother, the Jerusalem from above. From above. So salvation is an act by which God takes us out of Babylon and puts us into the heavenly Jerusalem positionally. Physical location, spiritual location. Takes out of Babylon Puts us into Jerusalem, New Jerusalem. And he says, now functionally work it out. Functionally work it out. When that happens, two things happen. We know it well. I'm just quickly going through. We were all born by the will of our parents. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. But James one eighteen says, when that happens, of his own will, God, out of his own will, brought us forth. He brought us, well, he gave birth to us. How? By the word of truth. You have to hear the word of truth. This is the truth. You have to hear the word of God. You have to hear the truth of what God is saying. Come out of Babylon. There has to be a fear that if you stay in this place and be part of this. You will be part of the judgment. You are born by the word of truth. And Ephesians one eight thirteen will say... In Him, once we trusted, we heard that word of truth, this is the gospel of your salvation. When we believed in Him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Something happened. What happened? The Spirit of God comes in. The Holy Spirit comes in. That's the proof of your salvation. The Spirit of God comes in. Once He comes in, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, Do you not know? Do you not know? You are. Not that you should go to. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How did you become the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit came inside you. He is residing in your spirit. And what does the word of God say? In 1 Thessalonians 5.23 What does the Holy Spirit do? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, sanctify means to make holy, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be made blameless, without blame. That's the work he does. That's the work he does. What's the order? Spirit, soul, body. And in Corinthians 7 and verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the... And we never thought there was filthiness in our spirit. But the Bible says there is. And what is that filthiness? So when the Holy Spirit... See, if you don't deal with your spirit, all your successes will be short-lived. It will not last. Look at the greats in the Old Testament. Everyone who finished too well, they dealt with that one issue. Everyone who had these great jumps of faith but did not finish well, they did not deal with their issue, the spiritual issue. They did not deal with that. So there is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is dealing first and foremost with that issue in His Spirit. Because when He comes, He makes our entire body His temple, but He is in the Spirit So he starts cleaning out from the spirit. Turn with me to James chapter 4. And the Holy Spirit comes there, 4 to 6. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Who is he speaking to? God's children. He says, don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Why are you going into the world? That is the Satan's. Why are you getting the ideas and all the attitudes of the world? Don't you know that is your father's enemy's domain? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? So there is a spirit in us. And every time we partake of the basic principles of the world, the attitudes of the world, he gets upset. Because he has exposed us to his son. Son. And he's after our heart. And the world also is after our affections of our heart. That's where we have to be careful. And now we go to verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Keep that in your mind. God resists the proud. Listen carefully now. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now Peter will put it even more forcefully. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. These two are put together. If you are humble, you will submit. If you are not humble, you will not submit. You cannot submit. You need to be humble first. Submission is a sign of humility. Rebellion is a sign of pride. The proud rebel, the humble submit. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is going around. And you won't even realize he has taken over once he has injected this into your spirit. Because we are so conscious about our body and the thoughts in our mind, we are not very aware of our spirit. Okay? Okay. So keep this. God resists thee, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's read the next two verses. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. The only way you can resist him is being steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And may the God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. Now we go to Romans five two. We do a little mathematics here. Okay, me, not Pastor Vijay. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. How do we have access to grace? By God gives grace to thee. So God connected grace, humility, and faith, and He says they are one. You need all. You need grace. You need two. Are we hearing? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. We know we are saved by grace through faith. We know so much about faith, right? We know without faith it is impossible to please God. Let me tell you something. Faith can exist or thrive only in a particular atmosphere. It is in the atmosphere of humility. Where there is no humility, faith will not grow. Think like a mathematician. There is faith. Gives access to grace. But God gives grace. And God gives grace only to the humble. So faith and humility have to go together for to have grace. Otherwise grace won't come and you won't grow. God opposes the proud. He resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Therefore, my mathematical equation says the proud cannot receive grace. And everything God does with us is through grace. Therefore, do you understand why the hearing of the word produces very little genuine faith. Why? Because the hearts are ground in pride. We need lasting faith. If you turn to Acts chapter 6, sorry, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, it tells you about salvation. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. What is the foundation of salvation? Repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. What does it mean? What does it practically mean? Meaning you stop your trust in Everything of yourself. That is the repentance from your dead works. And you depend entirely on the work of another one. What does it need? More than faith, it needs humility. Only the humble can be saved. If you are not humble, you cannot be saved. Because it demands you stop trusting in everything of you and trust in somebody else. A lot of people who think they are saved are not saved. They have a theology. They are not saved. The Sanhedrin thought they were saved. They thought they were cats whiskers. The inheritors of God's kingdom. God said through his servant, a simple, humble servant called Stephen, who waited at the table outside. He told them, you are stiff-necked. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Your ears are not circumcised. Therefore, your heart is not circumcised. You are full of pride. Be careful. I keep telling over and over again, one thing in life, make sure you are saved. Don't assume. You can assume about everything else. Presume about everything else. Do not assume you are saved. Be sure you are saved. Because when death happens, like Lazarus and the rich man, only one thing matters. Where are you going? Only the humble can be saved. Because you have to give away Every trust in your works, which yourself was made, your pride built on your wisdom, in your splendor, in your beauty, you know, your strength, all that. Like Nebuchadnezzar, look at what I have made. God said, I'll show you. Let me ask you this question, okay, because we saw it is built on three pillars called riches, beauty, wisdom let me ask you simple questions very simple questions okay who are naturally humble the rich or the poor who are naturally humble the poor why because the natural circumstances made them humble because they are dependent upon others matthew 19 23 and 24 Jesus said to his disciple, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard, not impossible, hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Did you see that? Now, he's not talking about I.F.N. It is English phraseology, where cities had huge gates, and then there was another gate which they opened, but the camel had to bend down to go through that gate. He says, rich men won't bend down. When he sees the poor man coming through the same gate, he will not come through that gate, because everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. There's no other way. There is only one way and you want to go through that way, you will have to humble yourself. Did you see? Remember Ezekiel 28.5? By your great wisdom, you have increased your riches. The richer you get, the more difficult it becomes. I'm not saying it's impossible, because Jesus will show it is possible by entering into Jericho and saving the richest man. But he had to humble himself before he could be saved. He had to sit on the top of a tree, climb the top of a tree, and Jesus saw him and said, okay, sometimes going down is humbling, sometimes going up is humbling. Tax collector sitting on a tree, he said, come down, I'm coming to your house. You are the only house I can come to here. There's another fellow outside, but he has no house. His name is mess and you have a house, two humble people in the city, I will come to your house. Let me tell you, what Jesus told John the Revelator, I'm the one who walks among the seven candlesticks. He walks down the aisles of every church, every row, and he observes every person. And if he sniffs pride, he will pass you by. He will pass you by. Don't take this lightly. A lot of people are stuck, having mood in their faith for years and years, because the biggest stumbling block is pride. Let me ask you this question, Ezekiel 28, verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Who is naturally humble, the good-looking or the ordinary-looking? Can I have your voices, please? How many beautiful people have you found humble? You don't have to be beautiful. You just have to think you are beautiful. Are you getting it? How many knowledgeable people do you know are humble? First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning things offered to the idols, we know we all have knowledge. Knowledge buffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Practically, think about this. Put Jesus aside on a different platform than the rest of the world. Have you seen as soon as people get richer and richer, their fellowship changes? The rich only fellowship with the rich? And even that's a very, very shallow fellowship. They don't, they don't fellowship with others because they will not humble themselves. Have you seen these so-called beautiful people fellowshipping with anybody? The Hollywood stars? Sometimes I see these little videos on YouTube and look at this film star coming out of those airports and CSF job. What are you doing? What have they contributed to the society? For the good of people. And everybody taking selfies from far away as if they're with that theater, that actor. Do they have friends? Do they fellowship with anybody? When people get very knowledgeable, then they start looking down on everybody. They cannot communicate because you are just below my level. What has knowledge done? What has wisdom done? What has beauty done? What has riches done? Look into ourselves. Because riches was the fairest of 10,000. Inside. When he came, the Bible says... You did not even know what he looked like. There was nothing in him that could attract us to him. That when they came to arrest him, Jesus who was there in the temple preaching for three and a half years, they had to ask, which among you is Jesus? Because he was the most ordinary looking man. Not like what you see in Jesus' movies. The most ordinary looking man. He was the wisdom of God. But he was the humblest of men. He was the inheritor. Of everything, all that the Father has is mine," he said. But he was humble. He came owning nothing and left owning nothing. These pictures very, very clear because these are stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks why people don't get saved, or if they get saved, one point they humble and believe, and after that they don't grow. Luke six. Let's have Matthew 5.3 first. Matthew 5, three, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I preached this many places years ago. You have to change your entire concept about what blessing actually means. Blessed are the ones whose bank accounts are full. No. Blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. And Jesus in Luke puts it a little differently. Then he lifted up his eyes towards the disciple and said, blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of God. He says, why? You are very receptive to the kingdom. Because religion is a very expensive business. It's a very expensive business. Only the... You need to go anywhere on a pilgrimage, you need money. If somebody dies in your family and you are part of any religion, it costs you. But you are saved and you die. And God takes you freely home. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Turn to do James 5.1. Come now you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now It is not wrong to be rich. I am not saying that. Okay. If you are truly rich. Made rich by God. You will know you are truly poor because it all belongs to God. I am just a steward. Naked I came, naked I go. This is his. I spend it as he directs. It's not mine. I am just a steward. That's true riches. That is Abraham. His entire wealth, probably the richest man in Canaan, his entire wealth is centered in his one son called Isaac. He is the heir through the riches. He takes him, binds him on the altar, lifts his nice and said, this is what I do to my riches. It's yours. It's yours. Therefore he was rich. You know why? Because he was poor in the spirit. Otherwise, God says, weep. Weep. Because your riches will stand against you on that day. Your riches was the stumbling block for you to enter into the kingdom of God. And go to James chapter 2.5 favorite words when I go on missions because God has always sent only to me the poorest of poor people everywhere. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Why? Because it's very easy for the poor to humble. So they can receive faith. It's very difficult for the rich to humble. Even after getting in through the gates of salvation, they are struggling. The poor has very little struggle. If you have doubts, see the poor people. See the, the ones who came from a satellite church in Ranchi. They come from the poorest locality in the town. All together they hired an auto, the big auto. They all got into it and they came in the night for a Saturday service. No complaints, nothing. nothing. Anywhere I go in the world, The poor are always there. They are happy. You give them anything. They never complain about the dishes that is offered. They don't complain about the seating arrangements. Nothing. Nowhere. And they grow in faith. We didn't know Lazarus sitting over there had grown so much in faith because when he came and angels came to take him to the bosom of Abraham. Such close fellowship. Not outskirts of Abraham. Bosom. You didn't know that poor man was rich in faith. remember this: God has chosen the poor in this world to become rich in faith, First Peter chapter three, verse three and four. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the in. Corruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What is real beauty? How does God see beauty? Gentle and a meek and a quiet spirit. Are we beautiful? Ask God. Don't look in the mirror. Ask God. James 3, 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then it is peaceable. It is gentle. It is willing to yield. The humble yield. The proud resist. The proud resist. Do you have real wisdom? Because that chapter talks about two kinds of wisdom. One is from below, which is demonic, sensual, earthly. And there is a wisdom that is from heaven and the nature of that it's 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 peaceable it's pure it's gentle it's always willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits what does it mean what is that kind of wisdom it does not want to win arguments it just wants a solution we know from john chapter 3 verse 34 that jesus was Filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely chock full With the Nepali service, I told them, it is not the same. You take this, you take this, you take this. All three are containers. To fill this is very easy. Two seconds, it will overflow. This will take a little more. This will take a little more. Put a bucket, put a drum, you go on, keep on changing the containers. When Jesus was filled, and when this is filled, it is not the same. When some people are filled, they overflow. But what they realize, don't realize is they are only this much. See, so it overflows very fast. When Jesus had to be filled, they had to put eternity into him. The fullness of God resided in him. Can you imagine how humble he was? Because when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in 1 John 1.14, he came full of grace and full of truth because he was that humble. You want to be filled with truth? Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, revelation. Take all that, put it in one word. What is it? Truth. Take it all. Wisdom. Knowledge, understanding, revelation. Take it all. Give it to me in one word. It is called truth. And Jesus came. Moses came with the law. Jesus came with grace and with truth. How did he come? Full of grace and full of truth. Why? Why? Think about this. Why? Why? Think. Why? Because he was... That humble. Look at how humble he is. Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 9. Let this mind, when it talks about this mind, actually it means attitude. And I, we will translate as, a, let this mind, let your attitude be this, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. First they tell you who he is. He's God. He's equal to God. But, and but made himself of no reputation. What is pride connected to? A name. Let us make a name for ourselves. Pride is always, why do people go after riches? How how much money can you handle after a point? Our government keeps on telling, you no, know, double engine government, double engine government, they want to have a double engine government here also. You know what it means, no? Double engine, same government in center and state telling the truth. Because if you look at how many thousands and lakhs of crores the government has canceled the debts of the rich and they are increasing the price of the gas and the milk which ordinary poor people need. But the rich man's debt is being wiped out because Babylon works that way. That's how Babylon works. Babylon is for the rich, it's not for the poor. Poor is given lip service. But the kingdom of God is for the poor. It is not for the rich. The rich will have to humble themselves. It is not for the beautiful. It, they will have to humble themselves. It is not for the self-proclaimed and knowledgeable person. He or she will have to humble themselves. Because that gate will block them. It will block them. And that's what Bible is talking about. Taking him of form of a servant. Coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has exalted him. You couldn't go any further than that. The worst death in that age was death on the cross. The father kept on telling son, this is the way, that's the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, dad, not my will, but your will be done. You know why? Because he was humble. He was humble. John, chapter fourteen, verse thirty. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The king of pride met the king of humility, and he sniffing, searching, searching, he couldn't find an iota of pride in him, and he left. He couldn't find anything in him. Not a spot of pride in him. He said, there is nowhere I can touch. I'm telling you, both kings, both are kings, one real, one fake. But both kings walk through the aisles of churches and homes. And where Lucifer smells pride, he's comfortable. Where God sees humility, he's comfortable. Who will you let reside in you? He says, the ruler of this world has come. The king of pride, he found nothing in me. Absolutely nothing in me. The old covenant was given through one man. A man called Moses. The old covenant was given through one man. The first five books was given through one man. Why is that That man for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from the time of Abel is God is waiting, 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 waiting to reveal his covenant. The shadow, the substance will come through Christ. But the shadow too He didn't find, he had to wait until this man came called Moses. Do you know what it's written about Moses in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3? It says, now the man, Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. He could receive the word and then give it to the people. To receive God's word, to receive God's law in the entire Old Testament period, God was looking for a humble man because only the humble can receive it. And for the new covenant to begin and to receive the living word of God, God had to send his own son because he was the meekest of all. In Matthew 11 and verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me. What do you have to learn from me? I am meek and holy. First thing before you can learn or hear anything, your heart matters. Heart matters. People think it is education. Education is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. i preached in the villages of Nepal. The poor people in Bhutan. I've worked among the garment workers in Malaysia and the housemates in Singapore and the poor people who come from Africa. And one of my best experiences was working to the Pakistanis in Dubai. The laborers. They hear the word. Many of them cannot even read and write. They hear the word. They cry and they weep. And they're so grateful and thankful for Jesus. The rich struggle. Because they're counting the cost. If I receive this word, how will affect my reputation, my wealth, my beauty, my name, my wisdom, myself. The poor don't struggle like that. That's what Jesus said. The gospel is for the poor. Come to me, he said. Take my yoke. We refuse to take. We do the first one. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We go there. After that, take my yoke. No. Between 28 and 29, most people, Christians, are stuck. Because to be yoked to Jesus, you need to be meek. Because he is meek. Only two meek people can walk together. God told Aaron and Miriam, both the elder siblings of Moses, do you know who are you talking about? I give revelations and these things and all to prophets and visions, dreams. But do you know with this man, I speak to him face to face because I see one man who is like me on earth. He is meek. And Jesus says, you want to walk with me? You want to a yoked with me? Not just walk, yoked with me. We work together, walk together. He says, one thing you will have to learn. Learn to be meek and lowly. Lowly. This is the major, most important issue. Until we deal with this issue, faith cannot grow. And without faith, you don't receive grace. Without grace, we are lost. Because to overcome sin, we need grace. You are not under the law. You are under grace. And therefore, sin should not reign over you. You should reign over sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So the only way you and I can become an overcomer is walk by faith, receive grace, and overcome sin. But to receive grace, you need a condition. The condition is not just hearing the word of God. It is the state of your heart. Are you humble? Are you humble? And I'm telling you, so many people sitting even in this church, your struggle is not you haven't heard. It's your struggle is not that you don't understand. Your struggle is you struggle with this one thing, my will or God's will. Your struggle is with pride. And how does pride manifest? Pride is a disease. You know a disease from its symptoms. There's no point in treating the symptoms. Last Sunday pastor Vijay said, not the fruit but the root. The root. If you deal with the root, the fruit will change. Something else will grow. The root is pride. How does it manifest? One of the primary manifestations, let me tell you, is anger. 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 Why are you angry? First question God asks outside the garden. Why are you angry? It shows on your face. Is he shouting? No. Is he screaming? No. But God can't see. Your countenance, why has your countenance fallen? Why are you angry? Because your brother's sacrifice got upset. Why are you upset? Why are you upset? Why are you angry? When you are angry, you should always ask, why am I angry? What is the cause? What cost is anger? Because we need to be angry, but we have to be very, very careful with anger because the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. Cain because became angry and he sinned. He actually murdered his brother. And many people would murder their brothers and sisters because law enforcement is there, they don't. But if it wasn't there, like Cain, we would kill our brothers. Be careful. Be careful. If you are a constantly angry person with people, the disease inside is pride. You are angry because you are not getting your way with people. Your way with people. I want you to accept my sacrifice, but I will not change my way. God says, change your way. I will accept your child. No way, Jose. I'll finish that fellow off. Then let me see whose sacrifice will you accept? Jesus said, Be careful about offense. Be careful about offense. are you easily offended? Do people have to walk on eggshells around you? Be careful. Don't offend them. Jesus said these things. Go read the Gospels. He said these things. Easily offended. Because the problem is if you're an angry person, if you're an offended person, you cannot be corrected. The spirit of God is seated in your spirit and he's trying to clean you up from inside. And he says, son, daughter, the biggest stumbling blocks in entering into the kingdom of God, becoming an overcomer is not what you think. It is pride. And pride manifests itself in these ways. Unforgiveness. Why don't people forgive? I want your forgiveness, but I can't forgive. Why? Because you are proud. Do you know the humble forgive very easily? The poor forgive very easily. The difference between two people in a church, James will talk about that. Two people in the the rich and the poor in the church is the rich will say, Pastor, didn't look at me today. The poor will say, Ah, Pastor looked at me today. He's so grateful. He's so grateful that you looked at him. The other one is upset. I didn't get a worthy look. I didn't get my position. I didn't get my seat. I didn't get my tarif. Check your heart. I'm talking about generally office, college, school, church, home, everywhere. Offended. Anything you say, offended. Unforgiveness. Jealousy. Arrogance. By the way, the Bible uses all these words. This is not from a thesaurus. This is from the Bible. (laughs) She insulted me. He insulted me. Insulted who? When you say me, who is me? Do you know dead dead dogs don't bite? Did you die in your baptism? They shamed me. One smudge on my great name. Think for a minute. The Prince of Heaven, the heir to everything, was spat upon, beaten, stripped naked, hung on the cross. He didn't feel insulted. He didn't feel offended. He was not angry. He was not unforgiving. Instead he opened his mouth and said, Dad, they don't know what they are doing. Forgive them please. Somebody should have been insulted and offended. And from both sides initially, from down below, everywhere, everybody is mocking him. If you are the son of God. Not offended. I will show you who I am. Nothing. He actually showed us who he is. He said, I am God. I forgive. I am not offended. Let me tell you why this is important. Why this is important. I'll give you two verses. Revelation 3.21 and Revelation 22.5. To him who overcomes, conditional, he who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And the final chapter of the Bible they need to find, there shall be no night there, they need no lamb, no light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We don't know exactly what it means, but there seems to be a set of people in eternity, not all people, a set of people who will reign with Jesus. They are kings, they are queens. They will have been given great authority and power. They will reign over angels. Not just humans. Ray, over angels. They shall be given unlimited power and authority in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They will rule. Now ask yourself this question. Can an angry man rule? Can a proud man rule? Can an offended person rule easily? Can an unforgiving man rule? If you feel insulted, can you rule? If you feel shamed, can you rule? No, you cannot. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. You want to reign. You need to be like my son. That's what I'm trying to do from inside. Conform you to the image of my son. Because you need to realize what is it? What is this world made of? This made world is made of rulers who are proud. Pride is ruling this world. You cannot insult the You cannot oppose them. ED will come to your house. You try anywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world it is changed. Laws have been changed. Justice department will come after you. Why? Don't dare you defy us. Democracy is all just a name. Like Lincoln said. For the people, by the people, and of the people. But when election comes, for the people... After you get their word, far the people. But before that, by the people. By the... Because people are far the people. By the people. And then, once you get their word, off the people. It's about us. Don't get fooled by these words. Democracy and all. There's only one thing that will be lasting, which is called the kingdom of God. And the question is, are we fit? Can God give us power and authority? There are two kings in Israel's history. The first king. There are many kings, but the first king. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6 to 9. Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of the, all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. Why was he picked as king? God didn't pick him as king. People picked him for king. Why did they pick him for as a king? Because of his looks. Because of his looks. He was good looking and he was tall. They picked him as king. He had nothing called humility inside. One year, two years, the Bible says after that he blew the trumpet saying, Oh Israel here. And the Philistines came, Israel didn't come. He's a fellow who built a monument for himself and never had an altar in his life. And when he heard somebody sing about a little teenage boy, he was so angry. Why was he angry? Because he's proud. Displeased him. He's offended they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David. What does it mean? He was
1: jealous of him.
0: Anger? Offended? Jealous? What is he planning and plotting now? To kill him. What was the reason? The reason is he had never dealt with his pride. So the question is, can you rule? Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has given to me in heaven and earth. Why? Not an iota of pride in him. Absolutely humble. Absolutely humble. So God is saying, can you rule? Are you fit to rule? Can I make you fit to rule? Matthew 5, 5. Didn't I give you? Matthew 5.5. 5. Blessed meek. For? Yes, when Jesus comes, the rulers are all going to be meek. By the way, no proud rulers. All the rulers will be meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Don't be very surprised if you come back, if you have a chance to come back with him, to see who is ruling you. Your servant maid will be your boss. Because she was meek and took all your insults. And she didn't refuse. She took Kept her mouth shut and kept on serving because she had the heart of Jesus. Don't be surprised. There are a lot of MCH people out there who clean the streets, who are Christians and who are believers. Don't be surprised. When Jesus comes and Hyderabad is transformed, who the mayor will be, who the municipal commissioner chief will be, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Why was all power given to Jesus? Because he was the meekest person ever. That's what James says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the meek. The proud resist God, and God resists the proud. And verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me tell you this all our binding and loosening in the name of Jesus is not going to work. The devil is a spiritual being. When he looks at you and sees you are full of pride, he will say, who are you binding? Who are you binding? What are you binding? You and me are Mitro. <laughs> we are friends. It's like Balabed song. We are friends. Or the vultures. 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 We are friends. You cannot, the proud can never resist the devil. Only the humble can resist the devil. Impossible for the proud to resist the devil. He won't budge an inch. Contrary to Saul was the second king. That's a very strange one. Whenever he cried, God answered. In Psalm 30, verse 6, I love it, okay. Oh. No, no, no. It's where he says, this poor man cried. Okay. Concordances here, okay. Are you sure? This poor man cried. I love it. Yeah? Got it? These are, this should be, Got it? Okay. This poor man. Who cried? Not this man cried. The problem is men and women cried out. God doesn't answer. He's looking for which poor man is crying. This man cried. Nobody answered. God said, Yeah. Instead your wife shouted at you.
1: But
0: when it comes to David. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. David had this habit of getting into trouble. And God had this habit of getting him out of (laughs) trouble. You look into any trouble David got into. God got him out of it. You know why? Not because he cried. It was the poor man who cried. One thing you see about David. He was a humble man. Through it all, it didn't get into his head. It did not get into his head. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 to 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? The foundation. There are two foundations. The foundation of law and the foundation of grace and truth. Be very sure what is your foundation. If you're building it on law, you will fall. Because proud people like the law. They love the law. I have kept it. I have fasted. I have given my tithes and God didn't even look at him. The poor man was; wouldn't even lift his head and say, Lord have mercy. He said, you will receive grace. He will receive condemnation. Because the law produces proud people. Law produces love. Proud people. Because they will always look at and say what they did. That's why you are saved by grace and no one shall boast. So simply, only the humble can be saved. So be very sure your foundation is right. And then how you build on this foundation? Whatever material you use. And then let's go further. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. Meaning, quite a lot of people will come with just salvation and nothing else. All their works will be gone. And not per se they are bad works. But the works were tainted by pride. And pride will not be allowed into the kingdom of God. I was telling the church yesterday, there is this term called first. Term called first. Sikhi. First, the kingdom of God. Efficient church, fantastic. Doctrine, testing, work, hard, labor, everything. When there is a problem. You have fallen from your... What? It is not like what we think. It is impossible for God. No, there are a lot of things which are impossible for God. One is he will never sin. It's impossible for God to sin. He will be never be tempted by evil. In the beginning... How does the Bible begin in the beginning? God. What does it mean? First, let me tell you something. By nature, God is first. He will never become second in anybody's life. Nobody's life will God become second. By nature, He's first. If He's first or He's not at all in your life. That's His nature. He's first. his Church is doing everything great, but He says, I'm not first. And you don't put that right, I will have to come and take my lamb out of you. Ask this question, is God first? How can God be first in a proud man's life? Because he is first in his life, not God. That's the problem with pride. In pride, Satan wanted to become first, but he was a created being. And God is always first. Because in the beginning, God. Don't fool around with these things, like I said. Don't fool around that you are saved when you are not saved. Or you are saved and after that there is nothing, just the foundation. You have built nothing. Nothing can stand the test of God's fire. Because we are going into eternity. There are no supplementary backlog, makeup exams there. It is set. It is appointed unto a man to die once and it is judgment. It is judgment. And our issue, our major issue is with pride. And there are a lot of young people who cannot listen. Do you know why they cannot listen? Do you know why they cannot listen? Because they are proud. We don't realize it is pride that stops you from listening. Because if it was a listening disability, then you would not be able to watch movies and listen. You would not be able to have conversations at all because you cannot listen. But in their pride, they think, I, know, I don't need God. A lot of people are not able to read the word of God. You know what's the block? The block is pride. Because you think you can manage it without God. And the Son of God comes and says, without you, Lord, I can do nothing. Pride is a fundamental block. Don't deal with symptoms. Deal with a major issue. Let's go back that scripture. Can I have it back? Yeah. Do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? What was the whole thing? It is talking about who you are. What is God building? He's building his temple. Individually in every person he is building his temple. The Holy Spirit has come in us. He dwells in us. And The question is this. John 16 and verse 13. When the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. Can he guide you? Can he guide me? Can he guide us? Can he guide us? Psalm 25 verse 9. The humble, he guides. See, God, that's why Jesus said, you know what, you want me to guide me, then be like me. I am meek and lowly. If you are not meek and lowly, he says, I cannot guide you. The proud cannot be guided by God. Only the humble can be guided. And the problem with humility is that God never says he will make us humble. Never in the Bible. He says, humble yourself. He will create situations in our life where our back is against the wall. It is so that we will humble ourselves. But it does not mean the situation itself will cause us to humble. We have to see and understand. You always have to ask. Like I was telling yesterday, even if you slip on a banana peel and fall down, ask God, why did I fall? Because you said I will not fall. Why did you fall? What are you trying to teach me? What is the issue here? What is the issue here, O Lord? There are no accidents in a child of God's life. There are only incidents ordained by God. And every incident is ordained by God to conform us to the image of his son. So don't take life lightly. Because God saved us for a purpose to make us like his son. Jesus said, learn of me. Learn of me. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly. All the conflicts in every home, it is not money. It is not the lack of money. It is not the lack of knowledge. It is not the lack of provisions. It is the lack of humility. The proud fight. The humble don't. You deal with that one issue, you will have peace in your home. Otherwise you will hear the word of God. It won't generate faith. It cannot generate faith. Second Timothy chapter three, verse seven. always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. why? Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. why? james one twenty one Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. The word of God will thrive only in a particular atmosphere. If you are not meek, it will not generate anything. It will just listen and reject it. You feel good. I heard a good message. And then when you go out, it has not produced anything. Because the word of God has to generate faith. It has to generate faith. If it does not generate faith, it does not please God, it achieves nothing. Because faith is the focal point into which to access the grace of God. The atmosphere required is the atmosphere of meekness. Whether you are in a church or alone, you know there are so many people around in the world, great men of God, great, great men of God, even now alive, up to 89 years, some of them are alive. Even now when they are alone and they read the word of God, they read the word of God on their knees. Only before God. They read. In the underground churches in China and all people read their word of God on their knees. Who is seeing them? Nobody. They are receiving the word of God in meekness. We are more worried about the creases on our trousers. Think on these things. In Timothy, when he says, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth, do you know where it begins with? It begins with, it begins with, the problem is, they are lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. Who are lovers of themselves? Those who are proud. Who are lovers of God? Those who are weak. God is building his temple. And he's sitting in the most holy place. First, he will clean out the spirit. Because if he doesn't clean out the spirit, whatever you do with your soul and your body is not going to change. Because the spirit will still. You see from the mountain up there in the spring there is this river flowing and one day they found the its river is fully contaminated they kept on checking checking cleaning nothing is happening then one day one man climbed up all the way to the top of the mountain from where a little cave the water flows and found a dead deer stuck at the mouth So if you don't change it there, it is no point cleaning out the whole stream. The water that is sourced is still coming out. It's dirty. If your spirit is full of pride, the soul will continue because it's from the spirit. It has to come. God deals with your spirit. It's with your spirit. And the major issue with the spirit is Satan has injected his pride into our spirit. And people are angry, people are offended. And otherwise he will—he's so smart, if you see you are on the right track of becoming meek, he will give you false humility. False humility is another version of pride. Poor me, who want to me? Again, they want sympathy. That's what the poor man, 38 years, sitting by the pool at bedside of wonder, God said, pick up your mat and walk. I am not here to give you sympathy. Take responsibility for your own life. Take responsibility for your own life. Are you an adult? Yes. Have you come of age? Yes. Get up and walk. Poor me. Nobody helps me. Who has to help you? You help yourself first. I am here to help you. False false humility. Another trap. Just the other side of pride. Coin is the same. Get these pictures. Get these pictures. Because unless we deal with this, we're not going to grow in faith. Because faith needs a controlled environment to grow. And the environment is meekness. Meekness and submission goes together. You read from the book of Corinthians, or Peter, or anywhere, women, Submit your husband. She started again. Finished. Finished. Who can talk to you? All things. God did not mean all things. God means what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I am not very sure how Christ loved the church. It's impossible to love like that. The head of man is Christ. Is Christ your head? Or are you headless? When was the last time you listened to the word? When was the last time when you went on your knees and asked God to intervene in your home? Who is your head? Who is your head? Because this has all got to do with pride because you think you don't need these things. The enemy is setting the trap everywhere, all around the world. The squeeze is coming in. You have to see advisories of government bodies of the next pandemic don't act like monkeys or you will get monkeypox. That's not what they said. Please refrain from gay and bisexual sex for a little time until you get vaccine. Because they have no authority anymore to say, stop your nonsense. You can't. Because if you say, they will be offended. That community will be offended. You can't speak anything to anybody. Why? Because they will be offended. Can God speak to us? That's one of the reasons why God loved David. He said, that man is after my own heart. David had three major failings in his life history. One was when he was afraid and went into the Philistine territory. Remember? And everybody's hand turned against him in 1 Samuel 30 at Ziglach. He cried out to the Lord. God answered him immediately. I always look at it. <laughs> Sometimes you say, Lord, it is not fair. This guy gets into trouble, gets everybody into trouble. But when he cries, you answer him. Not only you answer, you give him such victory, he recovers well. It's not fair. God said, really? That guy is meek. That guy is humble. Guy is humble. He goofs up with bedshed, uh, kills Uriah. I mean, the kind of stuff that man does. And then he says, I have sinned. God immediately says, I have taken your sin away. It's not fair, God. Not fair. God says, that man is meek. When he says, I have sinned, you do not know his heart. What heart those words are coming from. Then he did out of pride. One was fear, the other was lust, and then pride. First Chronicles. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Pride came in. Let me see today how many people are there in the church. Looks like a full crowd. Let me take a number. He decided, okay, I have reached the peak of my glory. Let us number Israel. Trouble came. Let me tell you this. Tell you very clearly. Many kings have numbered their people. God never judged them. Never judged them. He judged only David. Why? You are a man after my own heart. I will not let you have great plans for you. So let me tell you, two people may do the same sin. The two people may not get judged the same way. Some God may ignore the other one he will judge because you I know and I have plans for you. You are meek. I will not let you get away with this. I will not let you get away with this. Because plans I have for you is eternal. The other one is not interested. He just wanted a free entry. Okay, I will give it because grace is free anyway. But he has no great plans. His plans are all. That's what the Bible says. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, you are the most pitiable of all people. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are the most pitiable of people because eternity is there. He's offering us to reign with him. And he says, can you deal with the issues of the spirit so that I can clean and renew your mind and offer your body blameless on that day? But he says, you won't deal with the issue of your spirit. This is the man about whom in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 God says I have made David as a king and about him he said I have found David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will. All that guy. How can he do all the will? Because he's me. Can speak to him. Can give him grace. If I tell him he won't get upset i can scold him you won't get upset i can correct him you won't get upset i can chase him i can okay you counted israel okay you have three choices three judgments one you will fall before your enemies or three years of famine or you fall into my hands your hands your hands look at that man your hands look at first chronicles 21:17 and David said, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O oh Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that it should be plagued. What a man. What a man. How many of us will take personal responsibility? That's what happened in the garden. The proud never take responsibility for their actions. They'll always say that was the reason because this happened to me. That's not. Even the man 38 years sitting with the poolside crippled, sitting over there begging for his living. After 38 he's still saying others are responsible for him not getting healed. But David says, I am responsible. Why are you killing the people? You want to judge the people? Judge me and my family. Please spare your people. From the garden of Eden once Satan has injected pride. Adam does not acknowledge. He says woman. the woman. Woman says the serpent. And Satan, Cain says, I'm not my brother's keeper after killing him. Where do you find people who will take responsibility? Because God is not coming here to judge or condemn. God is trying to bring forth a solution. But He cannot solve until you take responsibility for your own life and says, I goofed up. That was yesterday's message. And God comes into the garden. He does not ask, Eve, Eve where are you? No, He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Through the Bible. Now I'm talking to men. Through the Bible, God is looking for a man. He's not looking for a woman. Get this feminist idea out of your ears. God is not looking for a woman. Nowhere does the Bible say he is looking for a woman. Everywhere in the Bible he says, I'm looking for a man. I look for one man who will stand in the gap. One man who will stand in the gap. One man who will stand in the gap. If you have an aberration called Deborah, Deborah told very clearly to Barak, you are the one who is supposed to go. But Barak said, if you don't come, I will not go. Because he was not a man. Like we said yesterday, when God said, I look for a man. Were there any men in Israel? Yes. Lots of males, no men. And that's what has happened to this world. Lots of males, no men, who will stand up and take responsibility and stand up and build the wall. Where does God look for a woman? No. He doesn't look for a woman anywhere. If you have the book of Esther, it is Mordecai the man that saves the land. No Mordecai, no Esther. should have been part of the harem, happily looked there and forgotten what was happening. But he told her, for a time such like you've been put over there, you will be consumed, but deliverance will still come from another way. If you don't have Boaz, Ruth would die a pitiless, a pauper Moabite in Israel. It is Boaz who redeems her. Get these feminist ideas out of your head and men, stop being so sloppy and so lazy and take responsibility for your life and your homes. And look for a man. Read your Bible carefully. I want men everywhere to pray. Lift up holy hands. Do you take responsibility to pray in your home, men? Next verse, it doesn't talk about women praying. It talks about women. Just be careful about how you dress. Be modest. The whole chapter is about praying. It doesn't tell the women. He says, would you be careful about, don't distract people. Be very careful. You can wear whatever you want, but there's one rule from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It is called modesty. And don't assume you are modest looking at the culture around. Go to God, your father, your spirit who lives in you and says, are you comfortable with my clothing? Because ultimately I am your temple. Don't assume these things. Assume these things. We don't dress for people. We dress for God. Old Covenant and the New Covenant is completely different. Religions are completely different. I told in all the other places in different languages, I told them the same thing. You go to the Hindu brethren, you go to the Muslim brethren, what do the Hindu brethren do in the morning? They start washing and cleaning and washing and cleaning, making all those markings. For what? Waiting for the gods to come in to bless. So they're cleaning the outside. What does the Muslim brother do? Does he get into his mosque without washing? He's got pipes and water everywhere to wash so that he can go in to pray. God doesn't do that. He's come inside. We don't go to a temple. We are the temple. He says, can I clean you up? Spirit, soul, body. Inside out, not outside, where it doesn't touch the inside at all. That was Israel in the wilderness. Inside was never touched. Their clothes did not wear off. There was none ill or feeble among them. Their shoes did not wear off, but their souls wasted away. Why? Because all they were asking was for their will, for their flesh, and against God's will, and God's desires for them. Like we say in English, let us get to the brass tacks. Do you know where you are going? Do you know to whom you are going? Do you know what he is asking of you? He is gentle. He is meek, Has written about Jesus. He will not raise his voice in the streets. He will not shout. He will not scream. Nothing. Can you feel the gentle impression of the Holy Spirit in your spirit? A check, stop. Stop. Like David was in the beginning when he cut off the edge of Saul's robe when he was in the cave. He was so disturbed. He didn't kill him. He just cut the edge. That's how sensitive he was. And that same man became so insensitive later. He wrote Uriah's death certificate and sent it I and mean, sent give it to the general. And the general sent him into the battlefield. And the next day he was dead. That man who was so sensitive became the most insensitive man in the Bible because that is what you can do. The devil can do to you. So don't think these things are light, these things are serious. So as we go to the communion table, think on these things. This is his table. This is the table where we judge ourselves. If a man judges himself, he will not be judged. And judgment has to begin from the spirit. Look at all the other issues of the life. Lord, I have no money. God says, can I give you money? The earth is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The gold and silver are mine. Can I give you money? Can I give you money? I give you money, you are gone. I give me a good job, position. Can I give you position? We can't escape this thing called selfie. We laugh, but we don't realize this is a mirror of our spirit. Our entire personal life is on the public space. You know, my beauty, my wisdom, my riches. Let the world know my status. Facebook, Twitter, all social media. Jesus were to come today. He won't be on
1: social media.
0: Come, let's have the elders. Think on these things. These are serious, serious things. Serious things. Don't assume when the trumpet blows, you and I will be taken. Be sure you will be taken. How will you be sure? How will you be sure you will be taken? What is the constant refrain in the book of Revelation? All those who have ears, let them hear. Let them hear. Do you hear the Spirit speaking to you? I'm not talking about whether you hear the pastor speak to you. I'm not talking about whether you read the word of God. I'm not talking about whether you attend all meetings. I am telling you, do you hear the voice of the Spirit? Only He can prepare, each one. Nobody else can prepare. There's no power on earth who can prepare you for that day except the Spirit of God. And when He came into your body and my body, He said, You are mine. Temple, and I will start the work from inside out. I'll clean you up. Yes, you have no iniquity. You have equity when you got saved. You humbled yourself once and you received the mercy and the grace of God. Mercy, grace of God. And now, let me start cleaning the old man out. Get rid of her. Put to death that fellow. So that the new man can grow in that atmosphere of meekness. Get these pictures in. I'm telling you. Otherwise, you're going nowhere. God will not bow an inch. Why? For it is written, God opposes the proud. And you have no power. I have no power to resist the devil. Our problems will continue. Nothing will change. Why? Because God is against us. The devil is against us. We are caught between the rock and the hard place. Are we lost? No. Are we safe? Yes. Are we going anywhere? No. Like the children of Israel, packed up every morning, watching the cloud and moving. The cloud is moving. Let us move. Are you going anywhere? No. The only thing you are getting is exercise and the same scenery. You are going nowhere. You are going nowhere. But keep moving. Otherwise, you will put on weight. Keep moving. Then I will have to send more manna from heaven. It's will do you no good anyway. Think on these things. Compassionate. Go home, fall on your knees, fall on your faces before God and say, Lord, help me. I need help. Why? Because I am proud. How do I know? Because I am stiff-necked. spray won't work if your spiritual neck is stiff. Either bend or it will be broken. That too it is written. One day every knee will be. Every knee will? Every knee will? Think about all those people who refused to bow. What do you think will happen? What happened on Calvary? He will send his soldiers and break their knees. Bow before the king. Nobody stands now. Everybody bow. Automatically everybody's knees will bow. Learn it now. Because John says, As I saw him, I fell before him like that. Because he was always falling in his prayer closet. was habit. Meek man. Jesus knelt and prayed. When is the last time you knelt? One is Prayer. The other is meekness. One is prayer. The other is humility. The Bible says he went ahead of the others. And he went on his knees.
1: And he prayed.
0: Father this morning we come to you Lord. Spirit of God. Cleanse us O Lord. We don't want to deal just trimming the branches. We want to go to the root of the matter. All of us. All of us. I do not know. In me there is pride. Deal with that pride Lord. For only the humble. Can receive grace. As we come to this table. We humble ourselves. Because this is the table. Where your words became life. Not my will. But your will be done. And as we come to the table we say the same prayer. Father, not our will, but your will be done in our own lives. As we partake of the emblems of your body and your shed blood, let it bring strength, healing, and deliverance in every life. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Anybody missing the bread? Anybody missing the cup? Shall we partake of the emblem of his body that hung on the cross Sake, shall we partake of the emblem of his blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. If you could pass the cup to the end of the aisle while I wrap up today's message quickly. In First Chronicles 21-27 As soon as this man cried out, the word of God says, it's interesting. So the angel commanded the angel. The Lord commanded the angel. And he returned his sword to the sheep. Stop. Told the angel, put your sword back. Put your sword back. The poor man cried. The poor man cried. The Lord answered and delivered him off all his troubles. One thing consistent about David's life, when that poor man cried, God delivered him of all his trials. Not when the man cried, poor man cried. As he was ending his life in Chronicles 28, then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. And the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. It's an old man. Son is going to take over. Still hearing from the Spirit how the temple needs to be built. Solomon did not plan anything. Solomon did not plan anything. Those plans were given to David. By the Spirit. By the Spirit. In verse 19, he says, All this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me and all the works of these plans. Who is this man? He's an old, old man. He's still hearing from the Spirit. And the Spirit is giving him the entire plan of the temple that has to be built. And if you go to the next chapter, 29, verses 1 to 3, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might, gold for things to be made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, stones to be set, glistening stones, precious stones. The entire provision needed to build the house was given by David. What is he building? The house of the Lord. What is the Spirit of God building? The house of the Lord. You are the temple of the Lord. John 1, 17 is a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is truth? The plans for the temple. What is grace? The provision for the temple. What is truth? The plans of the temple he is building. That is truth. What is grace? The provision to build this temple in truth. Don't forget this. God is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, and he says, my word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And in Timothy 2.15, the church is the pillar of truth. Each one of us have to receive from the spirit of God the plan how he wants to build us. Each one of us is not the same. We have different issues, different problems, and different sins. He has to tell us what is the truth about us. Only the Spirit can show. He sits there and sanctifies. We were all, by nature, vessels of wrath. One day when we humbled, we became a vessel of Mercy. Now God says, if you cleanse yourself, you will become a vessel of honor now and forever. And don't look at your body right now. Don't look at your soul. Both are very important. Look at your spirit. Because if we have pride, God can't do anything. Until that is dealt with. Dealt with. That is mankind's major issue. is pride. Are you angry? At the end of the message, are you angry? Are you offended? Do you feel insulted? Do you feel shamed? Named and shamed? Can you take correction? Can anybody speak to you about you? Not anybody. People in authority speak to you about you. If you are married and have children, Can anybody talk to you about your children? Oh, that's very sensitive. Think on these things. Because now you have outsourced your pride. It's now connected with that bimbo. Can you speak? So you get offended. Can the Sunday school teachers correct your children? They're asking real questions. Because we live in a real world. Think. Receive with meekness the implanted word of God. It's a controlled environment in which faith will grow. As long as Gideon, God humbled him, humbled him, humbled him, brought him down to 300 with no weapons. And then he won. After he won, pride set in, and he made an effort. Gone, Gideon gone. That is the story of most people in the, by Old Testament. They will run for seasons. After that, boom, gone. God doesn't want that. He says, live by faith. Love by faith. The only way you and I can live by faith is asking God, keep me humble. And Lord, whatever it will cost, do it. Do you have the courage to say it? Check and read the history of the great men in church history. Everybody had some terrible issue in their life which never went away, including Apostle Paul. Because of these exceedingly great revelations which I received, which could not be uttered, God gave send a messenger from, sick to put a disability <coughs> in my body. So that I wouldn't become proud. Because God knows. You have run better than any other man after my son. But you have heard things which nobody has heard. Achieved what nobody has achieved. I know the heart of every man. You can get proud and lose your crown. So what I am going to do. I am going to put something in your body. Everybody will know the great anointed apostle. He's got a problem and he cannot solve his marriage broken. He's not married. I'm talking about problems of senior people. 89 years old, Brother Charles, Pastor Charles Stanley's marriage was never healed. He's one of the greatest preachers of our time. Look at great men of our own time. His wife just walked away one day. Never reconciled. Filed for divorce and got divorced. Remained like that. all. Oh, never gave a reason. Nothing. Till today he preaches at 89. Everybody. You look at that. Everybody to keep them humble. So don't judge people. Don't judge great men and women of God. Because you do not know the price they have to pay. To stay humble. Because of the revelations they have received from God. Be very very careful. Very, very careful, because you do not know. You may laugh at David, looking at his life. But God says, that is a man after my own heart. When I rebuild the new covenant, it is his broken down temple that I will build. Not Solomon's, and not Moses. His broken down tabernacle, I will rebuild. And I shall name my throne, the throne of David at these pictures. So we will stand and meditate upon these things. It's the 8th month, new beginning, 7th day, all good. for Sunday. And I have given you enough material to chew on. Go back and keep listening. Keep listening. Keep listening. Keep listening. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And run well like Apostle Paul did. First step, question, who are you? Second question, what do you want me to do? Third question should be, how do you want me to do? Fourth question should be, when do you want me to do? It's all yours. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do? When do you want me to do? I am just your servant. You are the boss. And you do these three questions every day and go. Grace sufficient. There is nothing in life you will face which grace cannot handle. That is the very power of the Holy Spirit. Watch out for wisdom, beauty, riches, and splendor. Father, this morning we come to you. We thank you for bringing us through seven months. It is your grace, your mercy that brought us to this eighth month. We stand here, Lord. We have desires, we have plans, we have ambitions, but they are all worth nothing. By faith, we surrender them at your feet like Abraham did with Isaac. What you see fit, give it back. You empower it, so that on that day, we will have nothing to boast about. Nothing to boast about. If we lose it, we'll be able to say, God gave, God took it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You are the author, you are the finisher, and all in between, it is only you, Lord. For without faith, It is impossible to please God. It comes by hearing. It grows in humility. So give us circumcised ears and a heart that will be always humble before thee, Lord. Keep us humble. Keep us humble, Lord. Things have a habit of getting into our heads. Keep us humble. Whatever it takes do it. However painful it may be in this life, do it. So that we come through as overcoming sons and daughters of the living God. Speak your peace into every heart. Let them go in peace. Stay in peace and walk in peace. And your word says the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under our feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen
1: and amen.